The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Our, our church used to have revival meetings every fall. We were in a farm community, and after harvest, they'd have a, a week of revival meetings, and a lot of times it would run over for two weeks, depending on how things were going. And it was in one of those meetings that uh, I accepted the Lord at the age of 11. Uh-huh. Uh, it would have been in a November of 49, and I was baptized on Christmas, 1949. We've been involved in a number of churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have taught Sunday school uh, most of my adult life. The first time, uh, I was like 14, 15 years old. Uh, my mom was my Sunday school teacher. And I made a, some smart remark. I don't remember what it was on the way home from church. She turns around. She says, Dick Sunday, you're teaching. <laughs> and uh, I did. And uh, uh, I got uh, interested in uh, teaching. And I've been involved in teaching a lot ever since. Am I the last of my being involved in, in so many churches, what's a common thread that can be divisive? And then on the on the flip side, on the contrary, what are, what are some things that unite? Well, one of the things that divides is we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. If you've always done it this way, my opinion, that's a pretty good reason that you need to look maybe for something better. Yeah. We live in a changing society, changing very rapidly. Look at technology, you can't keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, your computer's outdated before you get it home. Yeah. In, in order to keep up with that, it's very important that we change our method, but not the message. Am I I want to say a word about music. We have changed our style of music tremendously in my time. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think with young people coming on, those joyful noises change. And we're all individuals. We all perceive things differently. But respect for each other. Listen to the words. Listen to the words, mm-hmm. and, and 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 what the message is that it's the music's trying to say, yeah. and music can set our mood for worship. So it's very important, I think, mixing some of the old with the new. I think there's a place in the Bible that talks about sing a new song, yes. <clears throat> and uh, that's important. You ask what unites our president says America first the church is pleading for Christ first that is 
the best thing for Unity. Yeah. And then you're, you know, you're willing to uh, not necessarily compromise, but work out your differences and learn to accept people where they are. And I think it's a neat thing when uh, young people and old people can sit together and respect each other and actually love each other mm -hmm. and want to be around each other at times. Uh, so it means, um, well, I've got to change some of my thinking, but maybe the young people sometimes need to say, hey, I, I'd like to be more like him or her. Yeah. Be willing to work together mm -hmm. for a common goal. Yeah. And that's changing lives. Yeah. I think another thing, people confuse unity with uniformity. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be like me, or I don't want to be like you. Yeah. But I want to work together. Yeah. You know, and, and there is a tremendous difference. I want to be like Frank when I grow up. Welcome to the Tabernacle. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so grateful that Frank shared that testimony. Frank, did you catch it? Accepted the Lord at age 11 in 1949. God willing, he'll turn 80 this year. And there is more wisdom and more experience. There's more miles on that car. Then I, He's been a Christian longer than some of us have been alive. And there were so many mic drop moments in there about what unity in the church looks like. We're just going to let Frank preach this week. I got a couple things to say. But uh, we're talking about what it means to be a God-sized church. Last week, we talked about God-sized lives and how God wants to change our lives and how the God-sized life is so much more, so much more everything than a me-sized life. And that's something that Christ offers, is the God-sized life. And when God-sized lives come together in this thing called church, hopefully we get what's, what we're calling a God-sized church. Well, what is a God-sized church? Well, a God-sized church is a unified church. And a God-sized church is an obedient church. A God-sized church is whatever God wants it to be. And the problem is, is many of us want... A me-sized church. Because we're weird. You don't think you're weird? Did you not look in the mirror this morning? Christians can be weird. Christians can be ruled by fear. A staff member was telling me a story this week. Uh, um, and it, it's proof that Christians, and especially Christians, we come together as a church, how weird we can be. He was telling me the story of a pastor that he knew from downstate. The lead pastor of a church. And... This pastor was given an incredible gift, an incredible blessing. I mean, a blessing that just poured right out from heaven. And this gift, this incredible gift was in his garage. It was a 1973 Ford Mustang. Blue, convertible, white leather interior. Come on, motorheads, don't leave me hanging here. I don't even know anything about cars and I want to drive that thing. Stick shift, you know, that whole deal. 
This is what was weird about that unbelievable gift that he'd been given, that convertible Ford Mustang, 73, is it never left his garage. He never drove it. He never drove it because he was afraid of what people in the church might think. Isn't that terrible? Here's a public service announcement. And it is Father's Day. I'll drive it. All the time. So if you want to give it, the Lord bless you. We'll get you a tax deductible receipt. All right. I mean, that's terrible. But he was afraid what people might think of him. Oh, maybe that's too, you know, expensive or, you know, maybe he should be more holy. So instead, I'm told he drove a beat up, old, nasty, rusted pickup truck. That's what everybody thought he drove. And it was rusty. It was holy. Right? How dumb is that? Well, here's what it has to have to do with God-sized church. The church was God's idea. Right? God gave us the church. He gave us one another. And my fear is that if we're not careful, if we make the church me-sized, which is all about fear, we keep the church locked up in a garage and we never drive it. We just shine it. We're afraid of what people might think. We're afraid of changing things. We're afraid of getting rid of the old beater, right? And I believe God gave us the church so we can drive it like we stole it. You know you want to. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at two verses today. And what's interesting is is when Frank, when we recorded that testimony, everything Frank talked about is packed in these two verses. And these verses were planned, but Frank gave us the points, and that's just how God works sometimes. So if you look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, this is how it reads. Paul's speaking to the church, and he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Now this context, he's specifically talking about our gifts, but he is speaking about the church and there's some implications in here about what the church looks like. And and so basically this this is what he says. There's a lot of us, all right? There's going to be more than just you in church. Otherwise, it's just you, right? So newsflash, there's going to be more than just you in heaven, right? Because it's not all just about you. So he says, hey, we're one body, the body of Christ, and there's, there's a lot of us. And he goes, and we don't all have the same function. We don't all have the same role. We have different roles. And he's speaking about our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and what each one of us brings to the table. But by implication, not only do we have different roles, but we are different. We have different backgrounds. We have different families. We have different issues. The sin you struggle with may not be the sin that I struggle with, but the sin that I struggle with may not be the one that you struggle with. We're different, right? So there's a lot of us, and we're all different, but he says we're one in Christ. That's what we unite around. And then he goes on to say something that is, it's a whole different sermon in and of itself. He says at the last part, and individually we're members of one another. So if you're a Christian, you belong to me. I'm a Christian, I belong to you. 
as Christians in a local church, we belong together. We belong to each other. That's kind of weird, right? Because we're Americans. Nobody owns me. I do what I want. This is a free country, ain't it? Yeah, but if you're in Christ, then you're part of a body and every part of the body belongs together and belongs to one another. So there's a responsibility there. See, we don't like that because we're American, right? We like smorgasbords. We like buffets. We like to order a la carte. We like things custom, right? And the problem is, as Christ says, oh, yeah, there's a lot of us and we're all different. And, and yeah, guess what? We're one in Christ and we belong to each other. Oh, a God-sized church, that's what it looks like. So what can we pull out of there? Here's a couple things. Right in the middle of those two verses is the first and probably the most important part of what a God-sized church is supposed to be. And God's been God-sizing our church, but I want him to continue to God-size our church. And that is this. Christ is first, not me, in a God-sized church. Wow, it must be 11 o'clock. Because I just dropped like the biggest church bomb ever. And you're like, huh? In a God-sized church, Christ is first and not me. And not you. And not him and not her. And that's hard for many of us to take. Oh, we give lip service to it all the time. Oh, yeah, Christ is first at our church. Christ is first at our church. But I hope it's my favorite uh, 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 you know, style of music. Christ is first at our church, but I hope that guy's not preaching. Sorry to let you down. Christ is first in our church, but then we list all of these little caveats. Many times we come to the weekend service and really it's all about us. It's all about our selfishness. We got to be very, very careful. We say things like, well, you know, I just want to make sure that a church, well, that I'm fed at a church. I've said that. Don't, don't get offended if I say that, but we, there's, a, there's a fine line between being fed at a church and just making sure that the church is all about you, right? Because sometimes when we say, I want to make sure I'm fed at a church, really we want a preacher that just kind of uh, uh, gives us nice little things that we can agree with every week instead of a preacher that m- may step on our toes. Does that make sense? So if we want Christ really to be first, and we've got all of us, myself included, Christ has to be first, not me. That's a God-sized church. That means our programs, our services, our songs, everything's got to point to Christ. That's what we want to be about. We want to point people to Christ and not point them to our denomination, to our favorite theological issue, to our whatever, our favorite political thing. No, Christ is first, not me. Sounds simple, but it's a lot harder. You see, when I come to church with all my selfishness, it's not about Christ. Do you realize when we come together on a weekend, we're, we're gathering again around him? Because there's no reason for us to come together other than Christ. I mean, we don't like each other that much. Right? But because of him, we come together. And, and, and when I lead with my selfishness, that's a dangerous thing. This is why it's dangerous. Selfish people, have you noticed this? Selfish people always end up alone, don't they? That's frightening to think about. Selfish people always end up alone. So do selfish churches. When a church is all about 
preference, when a church is all about what they want, when a church is never about sharing this message or sharing this blessing or, or looking outside its walls, pretty soon it's full of a bunch of selfish people in a little selfish and alone church going, where is everybody? But when we keep Christ first and not our selfishness, we're becoming a God-sized church. This is not the easiest thing to say. But I think it's important for us to say. Because we do live in a time that is changing. Twice in the past week, I've been asked this question. Once it was in Colorado, once it was here in northern Michigan. John, what would you do if this type of person actually came to your church? Sat right there in front of you. What would you do? And the type of person, use your imagination, fill in the blank. There were two different questions, but one was like about the alternative sexualities, right? People that are living in sexual sin. And, and fill in the blank of whatever one you're most afraid of. I don't know, people living together, uh, same-sex stuff, you know, transgender, whatever. What if they came to your church? And the other one was some other type of group. My answer to both was the same. We would point them to Jesus. We would point them to Jesus. Because Christ is first and not me. What are we going to do? Say, no, you can't come here because you're a sinner? I mean, think about it, right? I know I'm pushing some buttons here this morning. I got news for you. The people right in front of you, they're sinners. It's just not a sin that maybe you're afraid of. People sitting behind you that just judged you, yeah, they're sinners too. Right? Right? People to your left, people to your right, person you saw in the mirror, guy you see on stage. We're not going to take one particular sin and say, oh, you're the new leper. We don't get to do that. We get to point people to Christ. You with me, tabernacle? And if that's frightening, I point you to Christ. Take it to Jesus. Jesus loved people. And see, sometimes we confuse, well, if I love them too much, they're going to think their sin's okay. Aren't you glad Jesus loves you enough even though your sin's not okay? Time to get over yourself. Point people to Christ. It's about Christ, not me. That's a God-sized church. Christ is first, not me. See, this is what we used to do. This, I'm, I'm going to beat this horse for a little while. I don't know why I'm just supposed to, okay? We can't be people that say, believe then become who you're supposed to be, then we'll make you feel like you belong. No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, come follow me. Do you think Peter, James, and John believed he was the son of God when they first joined his little gang, his little band of brothers? I don't think so. Maybe somewhere in Matthew 16, who do they say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Maybe he really believed then. I'm not sure. I don't think he really believed till he saw the risen Lord after his death, burial, and resurrection. Maybe then is when he believed. Had he become who he's supposed to be? Nope, not yet. That took another couple of years, probably uh, all the way up to the day he died. 
You see, if we're going to follow Jesus' model, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make you feel like you belong. You're welcome here. Somewhere along the way, we hope you believe. And then you can join the rest of us who are becoming who Christ wants us to be. Does that make sense? It's belong, believe, become. And the only way we can create that environment is together. I can't just say it and then it happens. Because the worst thing that would happen is for someone to come into church and they're just looking for some answers, right? And they're made to feel like they can't belong because their sin is too offensive. Now, I get it. In a worship service, some things are supposed to be done in order. And we'll, we'll talk about that at the end of this message. But it's Christ first, not me. I got to hustle here. Here's the second one. Methods change, but not the message in a God-sized church. Methods change, but not the message. What that means is the way we communicate the message is going to change. The tools that we use, the songs that we sing, just like it's said in here, we all have different functions. You have a different function. I, that right in of itself points to different message or methods right within the church. And so if methods are going to be different, we're going to also see how methods change. Great example, the way Jesus healed people. It was different almost every time. I don't think he was just showing off. He was using different methods. Sometimes he touched people. Sometimes he spoke to them. Sometimes he was live. Sometimes he did it via satellite. <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? Right? All you, we can't watch a sermon on a video. Hey, get over it. Methods change. The message is the same. Right? And methods are always going to change, and I'm thankful. You're sitting on a different method right now. That method changed. And aren't you glad? You remember those wooden seats? Yeah, you all bought them at the auction as the fundraiser and they sit on your front porch and you go, those were the old chairs and they're especially holy because they were in the old tabernacle and that's when we suffered for the Lord. You want us to bring them back? Oh, no, 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 no. We're thankful that our tushy's got a new method to sit on. But you know, if you don't sing my favorite song, I'm not even sure that's Christian. Are you allowed to bring drums in here? What's the... It's amazing how God's people get attached to a method and we lose sight of the message. That's what I love about Frank. The guy has seen every method under the sun, right? I don't know what instruments they were using in 1949. Maybe it was a banjo and a jangly piano and then someone brought in an organ, right? And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, and then it became synthesizer and then it was guitars and then drums. And guess what? Sometimes we have country night. We bring the banjo back. He... He's seen it all, and he's not afraid, and he's sitting there teaching us, don't get attached to the methods, I've seen them all. Technology, yeah, it can be bad, but it can also be used for the glory of God. Methods change, not the message. One of the things that we couldn't put from Frank's testimony that I loved, and, and he, he was in the earlier service, and he sat right there, and all during the songs, he always pulls himself to his feet. This is a guy who's going to be 80. He's a bit frail. Right? When I see Frank, usually I say, Frank, great to see you. And he always has a quick comeback, right? He goes, better to be seen than viewed. <laughs> right? I got news for you. This isn't his style of music at the tabernacle. But he stands and he worships. Not out of duty. He says, number one, I know Brian's heart. He told me before, he thinks Brian has a heart like David. And then second, he says, I worship with the lyrics, and they're always vertical. 
So he'll stand there and worship his king. And he's not worried about the method. While some of us are pitchforks and torches if the temperature's not right in the room. Right? Too loud, too soft, not my favorite speaker, not my favorite worship leader. Guys, my heart breaks sometimes. We'll get a text, we'll get a message. Hey, just want to know who's preaching this weekend. I get it, but that's wrong. Because if Christ is first and not me, God's going to speak. And if I come with a heart of anticipation, right? Instead of some of us, this is how we come to church. You better not tick me off this week. I know some of you are folding your arms because you're cold. And that's okay. That's important too. That's an important method, right? It's nice and chilly in here. You know how hot it is outside? You're not sleeping, are you? Okay, well, you're welcome, right? But some of us, this is how we come to church. Better not tick me off. Better be what I like. Better not be her singing. Why are you looking at her? Why aren't you just shutting your eyes and worshiping our king? If, if things are different and methods are different, watch this. Methods of worshiping are different. Some of you are hands in the air like you just don't care. Some of you would rather die than put your hands in the air. Right? Some of you are like getting into the jam, you know. Some of you are like, why is she wiggling? <laughs> Bro, don't look at my wife. I'm going to punch you. Why are we that way? Because we're wicked. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament of King David. King David was leading a worship procession. They were bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, the capital city. It had been a long time. And he wanted it to be there. And this is a man who's been called a man after, or a man after God's own heart, right? And He's a, he's a king, but he was also a worship leader. He wrote the Psalms. He was a singer. He was a warrior poet, right? And so David is so fired up. And they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it's a huge parade. And people are singing and praising God. And David's right in the middle of it. And he does something weird. He's like, hey, somebody hold this crown. Somebody hold this robe. I'm about to get after it and worship and I can't be restricted. And it says he stripped down to his ephod. He stripped down to his undergarments. By the way, don't do that in church. We have security. <laughs> don't do that, all right? But David is going to get sweaty. He's going to get after it. He's going to dance before the Lord. And it says that he danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, the rest of that story. His wife, Michael. Up in the palace, watching from her window. Despised him in her heart. Because he undignified himself before all of Israel. That's not decent or orderly worship. That makes me uncomfortable. When he came home that night and, you know, hey, hey give me my crown back. That was a good worship fest, right? And he comes back. It says that sarcastically she says to David, my, how the king has dignified himself before all of Israel today. 
And David could tell that she had despised him in her heart. And that in his response was, I will become even more undignified. In my worship of the king. The one true king, right? Here's the rest of the story, Paul Harvey. Scripture says that Michael, his wife, was barren until the day she died. I believe she was cursed by God for despising his worship. Be very careful about your attitude when we gather for worship. Some hands will be in the air. That's not your business. Some people's hands will be in their pockets. That's not your business. Some people are going to wiggle a little bit. Am I making sense? If God would do that to Michael, you know God knows my heart and he knows your heart. Yes, things should be decent and in order when we come together. But God looks at the heart and what one person might call irreverent, you don't know that person's heart, right? I'm thinking of a couple weeks ago, we were singing a song and it was ironic, we're singing about shouting, but we're not shouting, we're singing. And then my boy Red, who looks like a Viking, no shoes, tatted up, goatee, right? Looks like he could eat you. He's over in the front row, and in the middle of that song, he just lets out this, this roar that was better than Kit's on the announcement loop. Shook the building. I thought the walls of Jericho were going to fall. Even if you weren't here, I'll tell you what everyone's reaction was. Half of the folks were like, Oh my gosh, what is he doing? So so awkward. What are the new people going to think? I was one of those to be always like, oh dear Lord, please just kind of, you know, whatever. The other half of us were like, that's what I wanted to do. But they didn't have the courage to do it. Now here's the deal. I know Red and I know his heart. He wasn't trying to draw attention. And then I got convicted because like Frank told me, I looked at the lyrics and I realized in that moment he was the only worshiper worshiping in spirit and truth in that moment. Because we were singing about shouting, but we were just singing. He was shouting. We did it this morning. I watched you, right? Very first line of one of those songs right before the message was about we raise our hands in worship. Nobody's hands in there. Liars. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I'm saying everyone's going to have a different method and it's best and safest if we just keep Christ first and the message first and don't worry about that. And if it gets a little out of hand, we'll deal with it, okay? I mean, if somebody's decided they're going to slam dance, we're going to have a conversation, (laughs) right? That's not what it's about. It's not about it. It's that way. And it shouldn't matter who's preaching. shouldn't matter who's leading. I mean, I hear it. Oh, no. That girl, when she sings, I get, why do they put her up there? I just can't even look at her. Well, then don't. We're so wicked. You know, the fact of the matter is, we're blessed with a ton of great musicians. Most of them would rather sing from backstage so you couldn't see them. I got to keep moving. Lastly, unity in a God-sized church, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. 
And never forget, unity is a choice. Unity is a choice. See, many of us, if we don't feel it, then we don't feel united. And so we're ruled by our feelings and not by our logic or our choices. You choose to be united. Anyone who's been married for a minute knows that marriage unity is a choice. Right? It's okay to say that because it's the truth. It's the same thing with the church. Unity is a choice. And we don't want to be uniform. One of the best parts of that video, here you got Frank, okay, who's like legit Indiana farmer, dude, you know, old school, and he thinks Brian's the coolest. I got news for you. They don't shop for pants at the same stores. (laughs) And in the video, Frank goes, I don't want to be like you, and I don't want you to be like me. But do you know they're buddies? They hang out. That wasn't fake. They fish together. They love each other. They're both united around Christ. You wouldn't know it by his age. Frank is one of Brian's biggest fans. Keep doing what you're doing. It's funny when Frank goes, and don't listen to the old people. <laughs> we do listen. Hey, listen. Old people matter. Young people matter. And here's the fact of the matter. is If, uni- if it's about unity and not uniformity... We got to kind of try to do our best to do our best for the most good. And methods are going to change, but not the message. We're going to put Christ first and not me. And so sometimes when everything's changing, you feel like nobody cares about me. Well, you're not putting Christ first. But all these methods are different. Methods are the change, or methods are going to change. Message is the same. Well, I don't know if I want to be united. I want to say this carefully. I think. Some of the reasons, many of us, myself included, as we get older, we struggle so much with change. It's not the preference. It's not the method. It's not even the principle. What it is, is is we're suddenly aware that we're going to die. I got news for you. Short of Jesus come back, we all going to die. We're going to. And it's that moment of reality where we realize we're another brick in the wall. And that this whole world and creation isn't about me. It's about Him. And if Christ is first and not me, that method's going to change. There's going to be a time when I'm going to be like, why are we using uh, laser beams? Right? I remember the first time preaching and I saw everybody pull out their phone. And I know some of you are, you know, playing YouTube videos. But, uh... And then Pastor Tim's like... John, that's where their Bibles are. You want them to bring their Bibles to church, right? Oh, I like leather and paper. I, I, can, I have a Bible on my phone too. But you know what? I'm not offended by your Bibles on your phone. I think it's cool when the lights go out and everybody goes like this. But we also have to have the lights so old school leather and paper people can see too. You see how that works? And I'm aware that I'm getting old too. When I'm as old as Frank, I want to be like Frank. Because there's wisdom there. He's seen it all. We can't confuse principles with our preferences. And everybody's got a preference. Style of music, temperature, what kind of seats, what kind of coffee, who you like to speak, who you like to sing, how you like it to all work together. We all have those things. That's okay. But don't make your preference be the thing you're going to fight about. You choose unity. Unity. And we're all going to be different. We're all going to have to share church. We're all going to have to share heaven. 
You know, there's a scripture where Paul talks about what the weekend worship service is going to look like. And it's, it's important for us to understand because if we're going to be one church in two locations, we're going to even have more things to put up with. I know sometimes technology, right? A screen. Oh my goodness. How can the spirit possibly speak through a screen? I don't know. Spirit spoke through a donkey in scripture. I think God's pretty creative with his methods, right? And so in the church, there's a verse we always go to when we talk about a worship service. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. Paul gives us some instructions. Speaking about the service, he says, But all things should be done decently and in order. All things should be done decently and in order. Right? And he was talking about a totally different context, but he's talking about church. When you come to church, all things should be done decently and in order. The problem is we don't agree on what's decent and what's orderly. I don't want that guy to yell. I don't want that person to put their hands up. I want everyone to have to put their hands up. I want everybody to use the NIV. I want to use the KJV. I want to use the NLT. What are those letters? You know, we all have those things. So I did a little study on the words decently and in order in the original Greek. They may not think what you think they mean. Decently, that speaks to walking uprightly. Or walking honestly. That's how that's used in context. That speaks to motivation or intention. That's what that has to do. So everything should be done with the right intention. Is what that first word means. Orderly means it should be well organized. It should be planned out. So it's not just going to be willy nilly. Right? Hey. Nice to meet you. My name's Bill. I'm first time here. I'm going to go ahead and preach today. Nope, you're going to be in charge of shutting up and sitting down. That's what you're going to be in charge of. (laughs) Not in the service order. See? So decently and in order, decently in order. Do you know what, how we could translate that? Everything in the worship service should be done intentional. And it is. There's intention. And the people on our team that work hard to make every or make sure everything's done decently in order, they're, they're, they have one intention, that Christ is first, that we're going to love God, we're going to love people, we're going to make disciples. Everything we do in our programming with kids and with students, with adults, it's about change lives. Some people get sad when they come to church and why don't you have this for this special group and why don't you do this for this special group and why don't you pick it with us and why don't you go to this, you know, bus parade. (laughs) I mean, you'd be amazed at the requests we get and we just stay laser focused with intentionality. We're about loving God, loving people, making disciples. And if it doesn't do that, hey, great, go do it. Yeah, we want you to, that's great. Decently in order, we're going to be intentional. We come together on a weekend. Everything's intentional from the temperature to the chairs to the songs to the songs that's picked. You know, what's hilarious to me is how many times some of you will come up after and you go, do you know something? That last song, that was like a re-preaching of your sermon. It was just perfect. Isn't that amazing? I go, I know. (laughs) Brian's more than just a pair of pants. (laughs) Right? That's, it's just the intentionality. And by the way, it's okay to say that's a compliment with that said, but that's what we're trying to do. And so many times when we come with our preferences, maybe it'd be helpful to remember, you know what? There's a reason behind it. There's a why. Let me give you a couple more examples because this is the last service and I'm wound up, all right? Somebody comes to me at Fight Club. Now, this is what happens at Fight Club. 
bunch of guys come together, we say welcome to Fight Club, and then we get out our Bibles, and we sit in small groups, and usually we go through the scripture that the sermon's about, and then we talk about it, how does it apply to our lives, we share our struggles, how can I pray for you, how can I pray for you, what's God saying to you, and it's just get down, nitty gritty, it's not that scary, okay? It is challenging, because guys get after it just a little bit, you know? Uh, but that's where dudes are disciple. sweet. So this guy at Fight Club, he comes in, and he's like, you know, I got a problem, I want to talk to you about this. Yeah, what's wrong? He goes, church I was raised in had Sunday school. Why don't we have Sunday school at this church? Don't we care about discipleship? I go, what do you mean by Sunday school? Well, you remember. You went to, yeah, I know, but tell me what happens at Sunday school. He goes, well, we come together in like adult Sunday school class. You know, we get around and sit at a table and we got some Bibles and we get them out. And then we talk about the Bible and how it's challenging us. And yeah, Sunday school. We don't do that anymore. I go, welcome to Fight Club. He's <laughs> like, yeah, but you didn't answer my question. I said, yeah, I did. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want to know where in this church we come together and, and like we did in the old days, a method. I said, well, okay, here's, here's the why. When the tabernacle first went away from Sunday school, it's because we didn't have room. Okay? Because God was blessing us. Sorry. We had four services. There was no place to put people to have Sunday school. So we couldn't put them outside in the dead of winter. So we... That was when it happened. Secondly, if you must know, as a little kid born and raised in the Christian ghetto, I was forced to go to Sunday school, just like I was forced to go to public school. I never liked school, and I for sure didn't want to go to school on Sunday. How did that make me love God more by forcing me to go to school on Sunday? So I decided if I was ever in charge of a church, guess what? And I'm not in charge. We're not having Sunday school. But we are going to get together around God's word at a table and talk about it. Welcome to Fight Club. And the guy's like, oh, this is like Sunday school. <laughs> Bingo. See, methods change. And we got hung up on something that has to happen on a Sunday because that's the way it was in the old days. And we forgot that methods change. The message doesn't. Message doesn't. We're putting Christ first. It's not me. It's not about my preference. My preference isn't what happens at this church, contrary to what some of us believe. We operate with teams. Sometimes, many times, it feels like as we get bigger, most of the time, I'm just told what to do and when to talk. That's called submission. We got a great team that I trust that's trying to do the best with intentionality. Love God, love people, make disciples to the best of our ability. When we do that as a God-sized church, when we get after it like that as a God-sized church, guess what? We get the Mustang out the garage. We put the top down. Rev that baby up. Tom Petty on the radio. If that offends you. Running down a dream. Bam! Right up the northern Michigan coastline. That's a God-sized church to me. Christ first. Changing methods. Hey, we're going to change every method that we have to, to maximize what we have to do. Anyone's welcome here. We're going to point them to Jesus. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll make you feel like you belong. We'll love you. We're not going to sit here and say your sin's okay. But we want you in here. We want you in here. Right? And we're going to choose to be united. That's a God-sized church. We do that. Man. We'll drive it like we stole it. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to be that church? God, would you forgive me for the times that 
I get in the way of what you want to do? When I get in the way of unity? God, would you teach us to respect one another regardless of generation, regardless of preference? Would you teach us to love each other, to be lovers of one another, to make this place neutral ground where preferences are set aside and we look to you, our King? Because ultimately, it's not cliche. You're why we're here. You're why we even like each other a little bit. So help us to love each other the way you love us. And God, we ask all of this in the name of your son Jesus, the one that we unite around. He's our great God and King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.